Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Culture, the inescapable facet of humanity that saturates, shapes, and sways. What does culture tell us is important? What does it tell us to value? Do the themes of today align with what the gospel says is enduring and meaningful? The messages of culture can be so loud, so pervasive, and so crushing, yet so quietly stealthy at getting into our souls. Just do it. Have it your way. Obey your thirst. The cries of culture put us at the center of our world. Just go after it. But instead of chasing after the counterfeits that will slowly crush us, we are asked to come. Come to Him who can satisfy our deepest longings. Come to Him who will give us rest for our weary souls. Come to Him who is crushed for us. Instead of taking what culture says is true, we need to become students of truth by reading what the world says and comparing it to what the Word says by hearing the world's news and recognizing it doesn't compare to the good news, by seeing that the world offers empty promises that lead to despair and looking to the King who makes us His heirs. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this space. Um, Just over the last five years, finding a place to Call home hasn't always been easy, and we thank you that we do have a place to come and worship you together as a body. Come together and grow in our understanding of the scriptures and magnify and lift up the name of Christ for what he's done for us. I pray that as Rick gets up to preach, you'd be with him. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd empower him, give him the words that your people need. I pray that you would take and use what he's carefully prepared and that it would minister to our hearts and our lives. I pray that as he speaks on the topic of confession, that we would understand our need for for this gift that you've given us. God, that you've given us a new identity in Christ that we can have the boldness to come and be open before one another. We don't need to hide who we are anymore. We don't need to live in the shame of what we've done or what we think about ourselves, but we are in Christ, a new creation that we can come and we can seek healing in confession. And I pray that, that 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 confession is something that you would grow amongst your church, that we, we would feel the boldness to come and seek uh, confession amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that you would use this as an opportunity to bring healing, but also an opportunity to apply the gospel in our lives, that we would see our great need for Christ in confessing our sins, and, and that we would, would be a church that's open and transparent and not hiding and pretending to be something that we're not. We thank you for, the, for what Christ has done for us so that we, we don't need to live in these things, God. And we pray that the, these truths that Rick uh, is about to preach on are something that we would uh, actually take and apply throughout the week. God, I just pray you'd give us boldness and courage in this. Thank you for this time. Thank you for Pastor Rick. We love you, God. Amen. I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be back. I was gone on an elk hunting trip and uh, elk hiking, I should call it, very unsecessful. Our spot is so secretive, the elk don't even know about it. And so 
that's it. And so, uh, but I had a great time with friends. I'm thankful to be here. I love you guys. And when I'm gone, I, I miss you guys. And I miss my church family. I, I think more and more, I understand what Paul was talking about in his letters when he wrote like that. So I'm thankful to be here and, and be with you guys today. So um, we're starting a new series titled Catchphrases That Crush. Today, we're going to look at the slogan. And over the next six or seven weeks, we're going to be looking at different slogans. Today is what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I'm sure you guys have heard this. Um, it, it's a slogan that's been around for a while. Throughout this whole series, we're going to be looking at different slogans and catchphrases that our culture says. Why is this important for us? First, the gospel is the most important thing for us, the good news of what Christ has done and finished. Part of the gospel is when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we have a gospel identity. We are called disciples. Oftentimes throughout church, um, you will hear different methods on discipleship, and sometimes we get carried away with methods for getting first the most important thing. Discipleship is first, or a disciple is first an identity. So before we look at how we do discipleship, we need to understand that a disciple is an identity that you're given by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There's not different categories. There's not like A, disciple, B, disciple, C, disciple. There's not grand disciple. There's disciples. All are one in Christ, disciples. But then what we look at is how does a disciple live? And what does it look like for a disciple to live out of this? But also, what does disciple mean? The word means this, student. It means learner. A disciple is a student and a learner. So my heart is for you guys to learn and know the gospel more, but also to be a student and engage active student of your culture. That means when we go to school, we know that we're students and we're learners. And, and at school, we're listening, we're studying, we're learning. I want us in culture, when we read billboards, when we see magazines, when, when we listen to songs, when we see commercials, when we watch movies, to be students and learners of that. That we were constantly saying, what is being conveyed to me in this message? Sometimes it's subliminal, sometimes it's very hard to see it, but culture is always giving a message to us. And what we want to see is how the, how's the message of the good news of the gospel, the kingdom of God, a better message. And so that's what we're going to do throughout this series. That's what we're going to do today with what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And so um, I, I know this firsthand, one who went to Vegas for uh, when I was 21 pre-Jesus that this is how people live and this is how people believe is whatever you do there, kind of the slogan goes, don't worry about it, it's all gonna be left there, okay? Minus a criminal record or anything else that you might bring back with you for the most part, you can have this whole life that stays there and it can be a secret. The problem with that is scripture. Paul, referring to sin, refers to it as like yeast. And anyone that knows how yeast works knows that it just takes a little bit before it goes out in all the bread. And he says the same thing about sin. There's no closet sin. There's none that's compartmentalized. He said, it's going to spread to all of your life. So this theory that culture throws out is don't worry about it. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. is not actually something that, that, uh, that's true um, because that's going to have an impact on your life as a whole. And we're going to see that in scripture this morning. So turn with me to the book of James. We are an expositional church, big word. Let me dumb it down. Means we don't want to preach topical sermons just to pick a topic and then find verses that support it. We want to show how scripture speaks to a specific topic itself. And we look to scripture to speak to that. We don't find something we're passionate about and then try to find a verse or two to support it. So in the book of James, we're going to be in chapter five and we're going to look at this morning confession. And specifically, this main point sharing is caring. Okay. Not, not in the, like the cliche, Jesus. You, you tell your kids that, but we're going to look at what it looks like to share and be a community that shares, a community that confesses, and why that's actually a very caring thing to do for ourselves and for one another and for the church family. 
It's actually one of our core values as a church, transparency and um, authenticity. And so we want to live into this. We want to be faithful to what our core values are. And if you see something in us that's not consistent, then please bring that to us because we desire this. So James chapter 5, 13 through 18. Before I read this, just let me give you a little bit history on the epistle of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus himself, okay? We know from church history that, that uh, James was stoned to death. Quite interesting, he was stoned to death because James spent the good majority of his life while Jesus was alive, rejecting him as the Messiah, and then was willing to be stoned to death for him after Jesus died. So clearly, he had, he had put his faith and trust in his own half-brother, and it impacted his life. The, the epistle of James is, is sometimes referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, or some see it as just like an outworking or, or an ongoing sermon or lesson or teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I would say both. They are both that. It, it, is, it is beautiful. It is filled with commands, filled with commands. In fact, there's about 58 commands in a little over 100 verses. Those commands are oftentimes called imperatives. These are the things that J James is saying, this is what it looks like to live out of your faith. So start disciple. And then here's what it looks like to live out of this. If I said we could summarize the book of James and just give it a title, I would say this. My unfiltered one would be, don't be a poser. Because I think that's what James is trying to say. Is like, you can, you, can, you can wear a UFC shirt, a tap out shirt. You can wear a cowboy hat. It doesn't make you a cowboy or a fighter. It can make you a real poser. And you can go to church on Sunday. Sometimes you can wear nice clothes. Sometimes you can have a fish on the back of your car. That doesn't make you necessarily a Christian. Having a life that doesn't just talk the talk, but walks the walk is what James is interested in. Is that there's fruit from this life. It's a, it's a faith that isn't just um, um, seen on a Sunday. It's a, it's a faith that is impacting all of your life and it's being lived out. That's what James is passionate about. What we also need to know is when we read this, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. It's authoritative. It's infallible. And it's good. And so read with me as we read from the epistle of James this morning. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For your word. Thank you that it's divine. Thank you that it's inspired. Thank you that it's good because you are. Teach us, correct us, heal us, help us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to look at sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. First, we're going to see that we share with God, okay? And that's how he starts off. I want to tell you guys this quick story, and we're going to circle back to this story um, by, by the end of the service. I also know we got started a little bit later today, so I'll, I'll do my best to be time sensitive. So when I was 16 years old, I was out duck hunting with a few of my friends. And 
we, we got into a group of ducks and uh, actually we split up. We got into uh, different groups, different ducks. Some of you are like, I don't care. Uh, these details are important to me. Uh, and we shot some ducks. One of my friends who I'd never met, he, he, he's a, I would call him a friend buddy now. Uh, apparently this was very important to him to retrieve the duck. So this is, this is, I don't know, late October, early November on the Umqua River. So he took off his waders and jumped in after the duck. Okay. To me, I'm like, it's a duck. And uh, I'm just not, I'm not that committed to the cause. And so he was, thankfully, after going down the rapids and everything that happened to him, there is a snag, a branch in the river that caught onto his jacket. And that's how he was uh, sitting there in the river by the time we got to him. By the time we got to him, he was already turning a different shade of color. And, he, and all he could do is just kind of stutter to help me because I'm, I'm cold. And so we did everything we could to try to help rescue my, my buddy without us getting in the river and getting swept away too. Finally, nothing worked. We even asked the guy on shore, we're like, can you please help us? And he's, I was like, can we use your fishing pole? He's like, you're not using my fishing pole. So I was like, what do we do? And so we, all four of us took our clothes off down to our underwear and we tied our clothes together because we knew that if my buddy could grab a hold of him, then the only thing that we could do is try to pull him back. That's exactly what we did. So we jumped in the river, or he jumped in the river, grabbed a hold of him, and then the rest of us pulled him back in into safety, and he was not in good shape at all. I'm going to come back to this story and why it's relevant later. But one thing that we didn't have to put on my buddy, which we didn't think through as soon as he got out, was some dry clothing, which would have been really helpful for him. So he went to my mom's house in his underwear where she had prepared a bath for this young boy she had never met before, okay? This is a true story, wish it wasn't, it, it is true. I'll circle back to it. Think if we look at the text here, jump back into the text with me, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. What we can conclude in the observation from James' passage here today his prayer is of high value. He values prayer. If you look through this, how much he talks about praying. Look, look, whatever you're going through, if there's pain in your life, he says, pray. Sometimes you've heard it said, which I think is really poor um, discipleship, is don't pray for yourself. What he's saying, the first thing you do when you suffer is pray. In fact, whatever state you're in, if you're cheerful, give praise to God. If you're hurt, pray to God. I think oftentimes our theology is, is able to be seen by what we do when we face suffering in our life. What is the first thing you do when you face hardship? Because James would say, pray. In fact, think about this with me for a moment. The most powerful thing you can do in suffering in your life and the most powerful words you can put into the ether are the words that are going to be heard and received by God. An all-knowing and all-powerful God Here's your prayers, here's your suffering, here's your cries, here's your pain. There's nothing more powerful that you can do in the midst of hardship than put forth your words to a God who not only hears, but he is there and he cares. We could spend the rest of our lives working together to accomplish what God can do through one prayer. It really is the most powerful thing you can do. I know this as a dad. When my kids cry out to me, and if there's any sense of angst in their voice, I perk up. I'm like, what's going on? Think about how moved an infinite God is when his children cry out to him in pain and suffering. He's moved. 
deeply moved by that. And you are talking to, hey, there's no operator. I, I hate that. I'm sure you guys do when you call somewhere and you're like, press one and then press three and then press nine. And then you're just frustrated. It's like you say, God, boom, you are in the presence of God and he's hearing, being moved by your prayer. Direct connection with God. And James is saying, this is, this is what you need to do. This is what's important. This is what you should do. If you're hurting, if you're grieving, if you're cheerful, who do we see live this out? David in the Psalms. I mean, he went to God with any expression of emotion that he possibly had. He's like, I'm laying it all out there. I'm angry. I want you to kill them. I'm happy. I'm singing praise. He went to God wherever he was at. And he's saying, this is what we do first. First, we share with God. And we let God care for us. Next, it says this in 14. Is anyone sick? Let them call for the elders. I'm not going to belabor this uh, of the church, but I will say this. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Is if you're sick, James gives very practical advice. There's, there's lots of things you can do, but he's like, man, if you're on your deathbed, if you're very sick, call to the elders of the church and let them come in and pray over you. And I, I want to say to our church family, I would love to do that. I know our other elders would love to do that. You guys can call on us to do that. And in fact, in 1527, when the uh, Black Plague hit Germany, one of the things that Martin Luther said and did is he was commanded to leave the city. And he said, I'm staying because he said it's a pastor's job in a sense to live out James 5. If someone's sick, I'm going to be there to pray for them. If someone's hurting, I'm going to be there to pray for them. And so Martin Luther was like, no, 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 no. This is what elders do. When people are hurting, when people are sick, they stay, they pray, and they serve in this way. What is the anointing of oil? I don't think we have to read too much into this to say it's essential oils. And, and I love you guys. Please don't pitch your essential oil business to me after this, okay? <laughs> I just want to say that. What I think is going on here is, is that oil has... Uh, in, in some cases, a medicinal purpose to it. But if you read Isaiah, it's actually soothing. Isaiah 1, 6. You can fact check me there. Isaiah 1, 6 talks about the, just the soothing ointment of oils from head to toe. And sometimes it's just when you're sick and uncomfortable, and, and there wasn't a ton of, of doctors and hospitals or anything like that back then, just oil provided a sense of soothing, okay? I think sometimes we see all these big revivals and for big miracles and stuff, failing to forget just the little things that God provides for us in our lives. God gives, he's the giver of good medicine. In fact, any healing that happens, we can trace it back to God, that God created man, gave them a mind created in his image to create good things. And so we can see that. And I think in some ways, James is like, don't deny the medicinal things that you have access to. In fact, they're good. They're good gifts that come from God. Instead, let the elders come in and pray. So again, please, if you're sick, if you know someone who's sick, man, I, I would take this seriously and would love to be there, love to pray. I love when people ask me to pray for them. I take that very serious. So next, it says this, and I want to unpack this a little bit. In 15, it says, the one who is sick, the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Sometimes on our deathbed, sometimes when we're really sick, we start to contemplate things. We start to contemplate, boy, I've done this, boy, I've done this. And so in a lot of ways, I think it's James' instruction to be like, hey, this is a time for the elders just to do a soul check-in on the people that are there. I think sometimes, hear me out, sometimes discipline can come in the way of illness because that can cause us to reflect, how am I living? What's going on in my life? And I know people who have been really sick and they started to like wrestle with things and go, man, what's going on? We have what it does. Sometimes we Sabbath, sometimes God Sabbaths us. And sometimes that slowing down allows us to just go, 
Where's my life at? What's going on? And it's a time for the elders to even check in on us, do that. I don't think elders being able to come in and say, I'm forgiving you of your sins in a Catholic sort of way. I think it's the elders time to come in and go, hey, remember Christ paid for that. Okay. 16. I have more to say on that just for the sake of time. I'm going to keep cruising. If you have questions about anything, come talk to me afterwards. So, verse 16. Here we go. Therefore. Whoa. <laughs> Paul's, or James like, therefore, confess your sins to one another. It's like an obvious statement for him. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Big words. There's this trichotomist view in Christianity, and there's what's called a dichotomist view in Christianity, okay? Big words, let me unpack them, very simple meaning. There's one view that I reject that says, basically, mind, body, and spirit, which is the trichotomist view, are all distinct, they have no overlap. A dichotomist view, they, they do overlap. And I believe this text gives proof to that, that, that our mind and our body and our soul, in other words, our emotional state, our spiritual state, and our physical state overlap with one another. We see even Paul talk about the body as a temple. We, 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 we see throughout Scripture that we're called to love God with what? All of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There, there's this overlap. And so I think what James is saying now, modern science is trying to catch on and, and, and say stuff today. Listen to this. Through various studies that are being done they're showing that the average person keeps about 13 secrets, okay? And what, what, what they're saying is these secrets actually have a massive impact on people's overall health, so much so that they've been linked to people's death. What, what happens is people share secrets that then impact the rest of their lives, meaning that they don't share stuff, but then they live the rest of their life going, is someone gonna find out? Am I gonna be found out? And then it impacts their sleep, it impacts their ability to even fall asleep, their health, their blood pressure. In fact, they're showing links to a lot of people that are medicated or self-medicating, linked to, there's links to uh, mental health because of secrets being kept. Now, 2,000 years ago, James writes this epistle, and he's like, just so you know, you should confess your sin to one another so that you can be healed. It's like modern science is coming in saying, hey, just so you guys know, we've just figured it out. Secrets aren't good. And you should share them with one another because there's like some medicinal benefit to it. It's like God's word wrote about this 2,000 years ago. And it's like, hey, he doesn't say maybe you should confess your sin. Have you ever thought about confessing? He says, therefore, because of all this illness going on in your guys' lives, confess your sin to one another. James makes a direct link to sickness and illnesses sometimes being linked to us keeping secrets. Think about that. The study goes on to show that, that, that typically each person has one big secret that they keep in their lives that they haven't even shared with people, including their spouse. This comes from what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. The problem is, is it doesn't. It follows you. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your ability to connect with one another. Because anyone who would tell you uh, and be honest with you, the more a sin develops, the more it's grown, created, hidden. It, it just interferes with your relationship and with your connection with people. It's because God created relational beings. I have seen people's sin destroy their lives and destroy their marriage from keeping it in a secret. I've had men come to me that have been married for 25 years to say that my marriage is over. We are called and commanded by scripture to confess sin. The question is this, why don't we? What prevents us from doing that? Wrestle with that for a second. Why don't we confess sin? If scripture says, therefore, Confess your sins to one another. Why don't we do it? 
let me give some, some, some hurdles on why we might not do it, okay? Some, some hurdles. First, I'm going to speak to the older generation. In other words, if you're in the room born in 1965 or older, that puts you in Generation X, and before that is the baby boomer, before that is the silent generation, okay? Meaning this, that if you were born in Generation X or your Generation X baby or a baby boomer, you were raised by someone in the silent generation, which means this. There was so much war and economic oppression going on at that time that they were literally the silent generation. It's like they were told to shut their mouths, be quiet. Kids only speak when they're spoken to. Women, just keep your head down, keep working in the home. And they learned to be quiet. What men did not do was share emotions. What men did not do was confess sin. And the other thing that came out of this era was industrialization, which meant we moved from being a trade economy to now we are a very individualistic economy, which isolated us. I'm not saying everything bad came out of this. I think there's good things that came from industrialization. I'm just saying this is part of the culture that our parents, grandparents came out of. You have that working against you. The culture that went before you did not set the framework and groundwork for you to be real about the brokenness and pain in your life and be aware of that. But it's a hurdle, not an excuse. The younger generation needs the olders to lead in confession and transparency and repentance. It's not too late. The next hurdle is, is the family you grew up in, including possibly your ethnicity. John Lee, who's a writer for Nine Marks, um, he, he wrote an article, I believe it's titled, uh, Confession is, is Awkward Costly but always worth it. Grew up in an Asian American home where he said that I couldn't share my sin because the impact that it wouldn't just have on me, but on my parents' reputation, it's, it would possibly taint it. So he's like, I couldn't do that. So I had to bottle all this up and pretend like this is what life was like. Another hurdle. You've gone so long without ever doing it. You've gone so long without ever doing it to your wife, to your husband, that it's going to cause more hurt than it's worth. It might. But let me ask you this, those of you that are familiar with Ravi Zacharias, how much hurt do you think it's causing for his family right now? There's a man who lived a life of secret sin and his family's cleaning up the mess. I mean, it is a tragedy. I would say that's far more hurtful and impactful. I mean, they're wrestling with, is this man even a believer? Those of you guys don't know, he had an entire ministry with a massive following that, that after he died, a lot of stuff was unearthed about the sexual abuse and stuff that he was doing with women a life of secret sin. Yes, maybe you haven't done it, but it's not too late to start doing. Number four, another hurdle. If I don't have friends, let me fix it. Join a gospel community. <laughs> we'll provide them for you. <laughs> so join one. Sometimes we put up boundaries. Gospel community is not the place for this. This is the place for this, elders. He just says, confess your sins to one another, right? We're like, well, this is this group. Be wise in sharing and confessing. But some of you that are on that side can swing over a little bit and maybe get a little bit uncomfortable and you might land at the right spot, okay? Here's a big one. We actually love our reputation and our image more than we love Jesus and the gospel that he's provided. The, the, one of the big reasons we don't confess sin is because we love our reputation and want to uphold it and the image that we've created. And in fact, if we're not willing to forego and die to our reputation, what makes us ever think that we're going to die for, uh, for and live for others? <laughs> As Christ calls us, take up your cross. Are you going to do that if you're not willing to even sacrifice your reputation? The next one, it's a big one. It's a hurdle. You're scared of rejection. So am I. Let me be honest with you guys here. I, I, even uh, my right hand shakes and quivers. 
I've been told by the doc, uh, by doctors that I probably have something neurologically wrong. That's what happens when you spend 10 years of your life fighting in mixed martial arts, right? So they're like, hey, go get a neurological exam. I'm like, I can save you the time <laughs> and the money. I'm like, if you need to know that something's neurologically wrong with me, I can convince you it is, okay? Or there is. And so even yesterday, my daughter, and I've hit it from her, she's like, oh, dad, why is your handshake like that? At staff before, I've been trying to show Hunter something on my computer, and she's like, uh, Rick, why is your handshake like that? And so if you watch me workshop, I'll almost always raise my left hand. There's just little stuff that's so silly that we're just afraid of people finding out about us, and like, I don't want you guys to know that because I don't want to be rejected. And that's just one of the many ways that I think if you guys find that out about me, if you find out about my history and my story, it's like I got married and then decided to tell my wife all the stuff that I'd kept a secret. Like, hey, I never went to school. I have really bad credit. Like, I'm just, I'm a, here's the scroll. Let's lay it out there. Not a good time. It's like, here's your honeymoon. <laughs> why? Because I don't want to be rejected. That's why. It's silly. But it's true because rejection is painful. It's a hurdle. The next one is this. It's in our sinful nature. Sin is not something we do, it's something who we are. And the greatest, in a sense, game of hide and seek we see played out is in scripture, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin and they're hiding. God's like, where are you? They're hiding from God. I play hide and seek with my daughter and she puts a blanket over her. When she was a kid, she would sit on the couch. It's like, I can see you. God knew where they were at. But what he was asking is, where is your soul right now? What's going on inside of you? Ever since they've hidden and put fig leaves on them, creation itself has continued to follow and do the same thing. We've went into hiding, thinking that somehow hiding is going to be the best way to live life. Jesus came that we may live life and live it abundantly. Jesus talks a ton about joy. So does the Apostle Paul. They connect this. How? Because Jesus wants us to live a joyful life, and we're not going to do that if we're hiding in our own images. We live a joyful life when we know that we are hidden in Christ. If you're still not convinced, read your Bible. The importance of confession. Our Bible is so transparent from beginning to end. You have a man named Abraham who pimps out his wife. You have a guy named Jacob who deceives and cheats just about everyone in his life. You keep going on, and then you get to the book of Judges, and you see this man named Samson who's a, who's a womanizer. You see David who commits adultery and then has his friend who's his laborer as, as far as his protector killed. You keep reading and you read about his son, Solomon, who has tons of concubines. You keep reading the rest of your Bible. You get to Peter and you see this man who's scared of an eight-year-old girl and denies Jesus. You see him, uh, you, you see Paul who says, I don't even know what's, what, what's going on inside of me. I do the very things I don't want to do. Our Bibles are transparent. We have no problem laying out people's sin because it shows one thing. We have a massive need for a savior to rescue us. That's why, I mean, I, I love our Bibles. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I would want that recorded. It's like, it's recorded for everyone to see. It, apparently sharing is caring and God knows that because he lays out the brokenness of humanity to show what an awesome and amazing rescue and redeemer that he is. Do you know what else James says here? Look, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. <laughs> Prayer is not a tack on. We don't, get, we don't go through gospel community and go, okay, it's time for prayer. We go, it's, it's, it's time to go to battle right now. And if prayer is a mundane thing in your group, then, then it's time to start getting real about what you actually need prayer for. Maybe it's not just your cat is sick. Maybe talk to the people in your life and say, this is what's going on. I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Confess those things. Sharing is caring in this sense. When, when you're able to share the very things you struggle with and what's going on, you allow others to care for you. But what you're doing is you're saying, I want to be done with this. The porn, 
the greed, what's going on in my life. I want to, I want to be done with this. I want to not just care for myself. I want to care for my kids, my grandkids, and the future generations. I want to put an end to this now. Start, start praying with me. Because I promise you, there's no such thing as a secret sin and isolated sin. It's all communal based, meaning your sins do impact other people. They do impact other people. Your greed, porn, whatever it is that's going on in your life, gossip, it impacts other people. And it'll impact future generations. Trust me. Trust the Bible. How does the gospel free us to share? Because honestly, confession and sharing... It's a gift open to anyone, Christian or not. If you're not a Christian, you can do this, and I believe you can benefit from it. That's how God's created it. Here's what the gospel gives Christians the ability to do. is First, you have a gospel covering, Isaiah 61.10. Let me read it to you. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It's beautiful. Isaiah 61.10 says this. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Look, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. The first thing the gospel does is it covers you. The first thing the prodigal son uh, did uh, whenever he, uh, or the first thing his father did whenever he ran up to his, what did he do? He called for his robe. He's like, bring me my robe, my best robe. I'm not gonna let my son go back to the village looking and smelling like crap. I'm I'm gonna let everyone know that he is my son. I'm covering him with my best robe. The very first thing, in a sense, the gospel does is it gives us a covering that we now get to hide in. That robe is unstainable because it was lived by Christ 2,000 years ago, and it's unchangeable. It's meshed to us. It is ours for all eternity. We bear the purity and the righteous garments of Christ. Next, what does the gospel do? And, and here, here, here's what a Christian has. Christ already knows your sin. He's not shocked by your sin. He's omniscient, meaning that he always knew it, but he will never leave you because of it. Christ knew the sin, what what, what you're going through in your life, Christ is like, whoa, I didn't know about that one or you were going to do that one. Christ knew everything. And here's the beauty of what Christ says is that I stay, everyone else in your life, and here's the harsh truth, they might walk away from hurt. Christ never will. He walks toward pain. He walks toward suffering. He walks toward the sinner always applying his garments of salvation, his righteousness to our lives. He will not leave you. We sing songs about him. Marvin Gaye sings a song, Ain't a Mountain High Enough. If you think about it, it's all talking about love. And, and this is Romans 8, that there's nothing that can separate us from a, 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 a God, Christ, who will not leave us. Here's what else it does. You disarm the enemy big time. Hear me out on this. I, I might get some pushback for what I'm going to say here. I am not advocating for this movie at all. A friend of mine from our church said, it seems like you and Ronnie <laughs> mentioned movies that you guys say, don't watch. And then uh, 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 fairly often, I'm like, that's the sacrifice commitment we're willing to make for you guys. Okay, so uh, I am not advocating for this movie at all. In fact, I would say don't watch it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to a principle that is applied in the movie. Okay, there's a movie called Eight Mile. Okay, and it's the life of Eminem, who's a rapper. Okay, I can't help that I'm hard and Gangster that grew up in Roseburg, okay? <clears throat> I grew up liking rap music. Eight Mile, here, here, here's something, something beautiful that happens in this movie, okay? At the end of this movie, he's asked to get up in freestyle. They flip a coin, and Eminem has to go first. Do you know what he does? He grabs the mic, and he lays out everything in his life that he's embarrassed of. He's like, I did grow up in a trailer park. My friend is this. I am like this, I am like this. And he lays out everything in life that his enemy could use against him. 
And then he goes like this. And he tosses the mic to a guy named Clarence. And he said, tell these people something they don't know about me. The very thing that you hide is the very thing the enemy wants to destroy your life with. You disarm him whenever you put that out there and say, now Christ knows, which he already knew. And now my church family knows and they're not walking away. You're disarmed. I think it's powerful. Christ stays and a church family stays. Part of the reason I try to lead with transparency is I'm like, man, let me lay out anything for you guys that I might be embarrassed for you to find out so you can go, oh, if someone says something about your pastor, you're like, oh, we already know that. He's told us. Which I think leads me to the last point that the gospel does is the gospel gives you a cross-centered, gospel-saturated community that shares with you like this. That when I fall into sin, that when I am broken, that when I am hurting, my friends and my brothers, my sisters in Christ come to me, and the most caring thing they can do is share with me who I am in Christ. Rick, thank you for sharing. Remember this. That is true. But you are covered. You are a new creation. You are cleansed. You are righteous. You are pure. You are holy. And I'm going to pray that over you so you remember who you are. Let me read this in, in closing to unpack the gospel, because ultimately, the greatest act of care was what Christ shared with us. This is called the, the one who shared it all. When the king was born, he shared in the feeling of complete dependence and vulnerability. As he grew, he shared in the need to be cared for by others. As he grew, he shared in the pain this life brings. He shared bumps, bruises, and scraped knees. He shared an embarrassment of puberty and a voice change. The king knew what it was to work hard at a job because he shared in manual labor. As he grew older, he shared what it felt like to leave home, mom, dad, brothers, and sisters. As he started his three-year journey to the cross, our Lord shared in the pain of being hungry and thirsty. He moved toward the end of his life, sharing in the sorrows and pain of the world he created. He shared the deep agony of losing his friend Lazarus and knows the pit in, the, in your stomach that you feel because he shared that too. He knows the hurt caused when you are betrayed by people you love because he shared that feeling too. He knows what nasty, smelly feet smell like because he shared in washing feet too. He knows what it is to be stripped naked and feel exposed because he was. He knows what it's like to be mocked and ridiculed because he shared that in the last moments of his life. He knows what shame and guilt feel like because he shared the shame and guilt your sin brings. But he didn't just share that. He bore it. He not only bore our sins, but he bore the wrath and penalty our sins deserve. He bore all of this so he could share the greatest gifts with us. He shared our sins and made them his, but in return, he shares his perfection and makes it ours. He shared his untarnished and unstained life of complete obedience with us, and he shares all the Father's love and affection with us. He shares his victory over sins as he walks out of the tomb and says, this victory is yours too. He shares the union, love, and relationship he has had with the Father for eternity with us, and he shares with us his whole family too. This is no normal older brother who is selfish and says mine. This is the selfless older brother who declares, all that I have is yours. The ultimate act of caring is found in what Christ has shared. My friend, Michael Myrie, Nicknamed Bird Dog. 
got out of that river that day feeling cold and exposed. The, the times in your life when you need a warm jacket and when you need clothing is when you feel vulnerable and exposed. Here's the thing. You won't know your need for Jesus until you're willing to go far enough to feel vulnerable and exposed. And then at that moment, the gospel and the robes and the righteousness that Christ provides is going to have more meaning and more weight to you than ever before as it would have for him when he stepped out of the water, if we could have provided something like that for him. I would encourage you guys, you can't fight this fight alone. Get into community, get into relationships. Talk to me afterwards, talk to our elders, share, confess, live this out, because I promise you guys, this will change our church family, it'll change our church community, and it'll change the impact that we have on the world around us as people see what it looks like for Christians to live out okay with their brokenness, knowing that Christ covers all. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Confess our need for you this day. Cover us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the king that shared it all. Amen.